Welcome to the third session of the Habitech Insider podcast. Today, I'm joined by our managing director, Jonathan Pengilly. Um, Jonathan, thank you for bearing some time. Um, so for those that don't know you and that don't know Habitech particularly well, um, could you give a background to yourself uh, and where Habitech came from? Yeah, certainly, Charles. Thanks for uh, giving me the time. Um, yeah, I started in the industry about uh, 30 years ago now. Um, in the commercial side, um, you're smiling because you can't believe my age um, uh, being 30 years. But yes, unfortunately, 30 years ago, and um, I stumbled across the world's first LCD projector. And uh, my father actually introduced it to me and he said, uh, I think these are going to go somewhere. And I hadn't got a clue, but um, I started a business with him and we imported the first LCD projectors into the UK and um, I grew a business um, in the commercial side and education where we grew LCD projectors and projectors in general and then interactive whiteboards etc. I sold out of that about 17 years ago and decided that I was bored and uh, I needed to do something and I felt there was a real gap in the residential market for a good distributor and a company that wanted to be um, a one-stop shop distribution for the home market um, and then formed uh, Habitech 15 and a half years ago, I think. Um, we we started with a brand called Nouveau, which was great at the time. It was a multi-room audio, very advanced um, at the time. Um, Sonos had was just coming onto the market at the same time. Um, but the intention was always to offer a one-stop shop throughout residential technology. Um, and we're sitting here today, very diversified. And unfortunately, uh, Nouveau um, passed away on the 1st of January 22. Yeah, very no more. discontinued. Yes, and no more. So, But luckily, we have lots of great partners and we've diversified our business, which meant that uh, we're going from strength to strength. Good, good. So I suppose next question I've got, and I've never asked you, even outside of this, uh, is if you you spent, what was it, 17 years in the commercial sector? Yes. What, I know you say you saw an opportunity there to move into residential, but what's that like working from commercial distribution, which is completely different to then working in the residential sector? What What problems does residential distribution have that maybe you didn't foresee from the commercial side? Well, I think I think the first thing to say is I much prefer the residential sector to the commercial sector. Um, commercial was great for the first 10, 12 years because it was about relationships. It was about building relationships with our customers, the integrators, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, but the last six or seven years, and one of the main reasons that I wanted to sell out of my last business was because it purely became numbers and it became 5% margins on LCD projectors and, and, and flat screen TVs, which by the way, I imported the first Fujitsu flat screen plasma, um, which again, I've learned a lot of lessons. I learned a lesson, don't jump into technology too early because in my younger days, when I was a bit more bullish. I would always want to have the latest toys. Um, but as you can see from behind us, the Samsung wall, I've been watching micro LED technology for about eight years before we decided to jump in 
and, and back it. And, and I think we have got the timing right because I'm really excited with the developments that Samsung are bringing to market in 22. Um, so really the big difference in residential to commercial is margin and relationships. Um, I'm a relationship person. I like building um, relationships with people, working closely with integrators and, 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 and having time with them. And you can't do that, as we all know, if you're on sing single digit and sub 5% margins. It's a transaction, has to go through. It worked for us in the, in the commercial space because we built that business up to 100 million turnover. So when you've got those big turnovers, you know, you can um, afford much lower margins. But when you're in the resi space, which and to answer your question, the real difference is on the resi space, it's much smaller um, and you're talking small numbers. At the peak, we were selling five, five and a half thousand LCD projectors a month. Um, schools were buying 250 LCD projectors at a, in one order. Yeah. You know, we now sell a projector for someone cinema. Yeah. Um, and that's great Volume because we have the time to, and we have the margin for both our integrator and us to get involved, get passionate, and make sure that projector is performing as best it can. Yeah. Whereas in commercial, it's just a number. Get it out the door. Yeah. I don't care if it's a projector, a screen, a whiteboard. Yeah. Get it out the door. Hang and bang. Hang and bang. Cool. Let's talk about the uh, the big 146-inch beast in the room behind us. So Samsung and MicroLED. Yeah. Um, I, I want to mention that because when I set our stall out 15 years ago, and I, I always said, and we joked, that because I'd lived through the different life cycles of LCD projectors, and flat screen displays uh, at my previous commercial adventures, um, I said I would never sell uh, TVs when I moved into this residential space. Um, and I always said that because I knew the margins involved. Um, and I know a lot of integrators uh, ask the customers to source their own uh, flat screen displays because there is so little margin. Um, and I Personally, don't want to sell product where there is no margin at all for a distributor, and I don't want to. I don't want my customers, the, you, the integrator, to sell product where there's no margin. Um, however, we, I think you, have you seen the display is still a huge part of the technology offering in the home. Um, our eyes are very important, and we still do a lot through displays, and I think that's becoming even more uh, important as. The, as Charles, you mentioned, the streaming technology and everything that screens are just getting bigger, better, higher resolution. And so um, we, we do feel that screens are still a really important element of the home. And because of that, we work really tightly with Samsung. We've had a relationship now with them for three years, working with them with the product behind me, the wall, 146 inch, which is probably the best tech well this is the best television in the world but it is at a price point that only a very few can um afford it however as i said before um i waited eight years to jump into micro led technology and the wall isn't the, the 146 inch wall behind me isn't the bit that really excites me yes there are a few customers we've had a few nice orders but what really excites me is what's coming down the pipe in 22 and 23. Um, Samsung have now announced 
a 110 inch model, a 100 inch model, a 90 inch model and an 80 inch model, all single panel technology. So these, these, these screens are as easy to hang as a conventional television, They're very thin, very light, and they will go on a wall, um, but they're a bit bigger, but they will be a, a simple hang um, solution. And therefore, I think the market uh, for them is going to be so much bigger. I think it's going to grow massively. Um, and so we're really excited that we've recently signed with Samsung Consumer. Um, and we have signed a deal with them to really ensure that there is margin for you, the integrator, and margin for us, the distributor. And this is key to me. We can. I'm, I'm not interested in the technology. It's about making some money. We can't. We are not a charity. The integrators are not a charity. We're not a charity. We have to make some money. And I have fought for over a year with Samsung to put us as an industry in that position, so that we are not making tiny margins with flat screen display sales, which is the norm in the market. And because of that. We will only be selling the very high end of the model range of Samsung. But as of the 1st of March, we're delighted to announce that we now will be selling their range of micro LED products um, and their range of top end LCD and QLED and all their top technology televisions will be available through Habitech. Um, and we're really excited because we think that opens up lots of doors, but it will be all high end at margin for you, Mr. Dealer. Um, and so please knock on our doors, 1st of March. We have made some major investments in stock um, and we will continue to stock to try and make sure we have product for you next day, every day. Great. I think it's also important to add within that is that also covers the Terrace TV as well. And that is a huge area of growth is outdoor living right now. Huge. Um, and it's a conversation for a, for a, for a different session of this, but. Um, yeah, that's great. As we've all been locked down, if we start to see COVID ease and disappear, I think the vast majority of us, including us normal minions, will want to get out as soon as the sun shines and get that barbecue out, get the tunes cranked up. And if you've got a terrace TV, watch the sport on the te television in your garden. And as you say, Charles, it's another uh, room to your home. And I think so many people even with English weather, are creating that outdoor living space. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so um, you mentioned the Samsung wall behind us. This is probably a good time to talk about uh, you know, the continual investment into the showroom facilities here at Basingstoke and as well at the uh, Park Crescent members area, members club. Um, so yeah, talk, talk us through that because obviously in the five years I've been here now, I know you were laughing saying you've been here a long time. That five years has gone like that for me. Um, and I've seen this place change several times just in that short space of time. So what is it about this that, you know, what's the, the mindset behind the continual investment in the showroom facilities? Um, okay, I'd like to, I can talk to you about the showroom facilities and, and also the, um, and the supplier partner changes that, that have happened recently. Mm -hmm. A lot of this stuff goes on behind the scenes, my secret squirrel negotiations, et cetera, that, People don't know about because a lot of it goes nowhere. Um, but then, you know, over time, hopefully we, we can form new partnerships and stuff. And 
And I think that's one of my key roles is to constantly look at the technology and where it's going and try and make a best guess yeah. of what we should back into the future and which partners, which brands we should back. Um, with regards to the showroom, and I'll answer that question first. Um, about five or six years ago, I really felt that the home gym was finally coming out of fad and that cinemas were going to really grow. So I made a bold move and we decided to invest heavily in home cinemas. Uh, it was an area that Habitat wasn't strong in. We were a multi-room audio, multi-room video, but I did feel that there was going to be a big growth in home cinema. And thank goodness I did get that one right. I get a lot of things wrong, but I got that one right. And we've invested heavily in home cinema for probably five or six years now. And and it's now come great. And, you know, we, we're delighted with the partners that we have. Um, and again, because we're trying to offer that complete one-stop solution in the cinema space. Um, so um, on, on that note, so because we invested in home cinema, it's, it's not a product, it's a solution. And there are a million ways of skinning the cat. And therefore, we needed uh, to really have great showrooms. And so we invested heavily. And now in, in our Basingstoke showroom, we have one, two, th currently three uh, great cinemas here um, at different price points, at different um, using different brands, different solutions, so that um, the integrators can bring, can understand the technology themselves and then bring uh, their customers because the investments are huge. We've now spent over 2 million just on the demo facilities in this building. And, um, and it's, unfortunately, it's refurbed. I always said every two years, but we probably refurb it every six months in different areas. And so the investments are huge and it's not worth one integrator doing that. And we encourage our integrator partners to use our facility, both here in Basingstoke and now our amazing facility, um, as you mentioned, Park Crescent in, in uh, central London. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, and I would say in the time I've been here, I've definitely noticed a, a shift in not just the continual investment in the, the, the demo areas here, but the, also the, the purpose of the rooms. Before, well, even when I started, they were very, you know, with the greatest respect, grey functional rooms. Whereas now, and you're laughing, uh, you know, we've had, we've come on board with Cinema Tech, we've got Sophie, and these are now rooms that people will come in and go, I actually, I want this room in my house. It doesn't just sound good and, and, and you know, the, the projector looks amazing. The whole room is a proper solution that people come in and go, I'd, I'd like this room in my house, please. Exactly. And, and it's great. And, and it is all praise to Sophie because it, I, I smiled before because, um, Everything was designed by the Timmy and Johnny show and uh, design is not my forte and nor is it Timmy's forte. So yes, it was square boxes, no design. Uh, it, it didn't look great. Uh, since Sophie's taken control, um, it's amazing. And as you say, so many people, so many end users come in here and say, I want this room in my house. And that's part of it. Obviously, aesthetics is a big part. Um, uh, is a big part of what we do. These are people's houses. A lot of people don't want to see tech. They're not interested in tech. Um, 
But in today's world, and it's changing more in our favor, people want the tech in their houses because they like the benefits of technology, but they don't want to see it. So design is key. And I think as our industry develops and goes forward, I think it's key for everyone in our industry to really concentrate on design, working with architects, working with interior designers, because that's what the end user wants. They want it to look great and function in a simple way that works for them. Yeah, um, absolutely. So, so um, going back to the showroom, three, three great cinemas at the moment, but I'm delighted to say that um, we gave the go-ahead uh, a month ago that we are now going to invest in a fourth cinema uh, because we represent James Loudspeaker, uh, a great brand, now part of the Sonance Group, um, but we don't have a dedicated James Cinema. So we will be building um, over the next coming, in the coming months, we will be building a dedicated James Cinema to show different levels of James speakers. So we'll have a medium priced uh, solution that people will be able to listen to and an a higher end solution all in the one room. Great. And and talking of uh, of changes to the showroom, you mentioned James Loudspeaker. They're a fairly uh, new addition to the Habitech portfolio. Um, there are a few other brands, Samsung being one, but there's one of particular interest to me at the moment, which is Storm Audio. So I know you were working uh, probably long and hard, as you say, on your secret squirrel missions around talking to various brands. But why why Storm Audio? What what was it about Storm that you found? fitted so well in the Habitech portfolio? Um, I have coveted Storm for a number of years. It was one of those long burn ones. Um, you know, we we have raised our game year on year with cinema that we are now are being asked for 32 channel and some 64 channel solutions. So we need um, some really powerful top end processes that we'll deal with with all the other elements that we have. We have the great speakers of Wisdom and Sonant, but we didn't have the multi, you know, 16 plus channel um, processors. So, and there aren't that many players in the market. No. And when it, when it, when it boils, when you look, when you boil it all down, really there are two players in the market um, and Storm being one of them. And, um, you know, I was delighted, you know, back in, I think it was December when we announced the uh, partnership with Storm uh, because they really have come from the beginnings of Dolby Atmos. Uh, they were part of the Aurora team that really came in with the DTS, DTSX and other solutions in the multi-channel. Um, so they not only manufacture the hardware, but they were right at the root of object-based sound and the multi-channel solutions. Um, so they have the expertise in-house. The other thing about Storm, which is great, um, is that it's not a product based on a PC. Inherently, PCs are great for us to do our day-to-day -day work and use Outlook and Windows and Excel, uh, but they aren't 100% reliable. We all know that yeah. PCs can be not bulletproof. And, and Storm is a ground from the ground up, it's been built as a multi-channel processor. And because of that, they are bulletproof and they have multiple processors doing different elements of the processing. So you'll find that with the Storm Kit, you have a processor to 
process signal, but another processor to deal with all the channel counts. Um, and it's a dedicated machine specifically designed and built for multi-channel processing. So Storm really are uh, sort, sort of pioneers of, of, of multi-channel. Yeah, right right at the forefront. And, you know, they, they, um, they build the best flagship products in the world. And we're delighted that we represent them for the UK market. Cool. Okay. Um, so yeah, there there are a whole host of other brands that, that have come on on board with Habitech in the, like I say, just in the, the years since I've started, um, and we don't have time to talk about them all today. Um, so, how do you feel that obviously we are now sat here in February twenty twenty two? It's been a, a strange two years, shall we say? Um, there was a lot of things that were up in the air, and we were quite unsure and thinking, oh God, what's going to happen? Because nobody, nobody knew. And it wasn't just us at Habitat. It was pretty much every business, wasn't it? It was, was, uh, was thinking what's going to happen. So how do you feel that, that COVID has affected uh, our industry, not just Habitat, but our industry, custom install industry as a whole? Um, and, and as Habitat, what have you done as a business owner to try and help mitigate some of those problems for our dealers? Yeah, it's a good question, Charles. Um, I think, you know, when furlough, when, when furlough, when COVID first really hit us here in Basingstoke, which was March um, 20? Yeah, March, yeah, March, March 20. 20. Um, you know, none of us knew what was, how bad it was. None of us knew at all. My wife's in the medical profession and uh, she, she said that, you know, King's College Hospital in London, where she works, uh, was like Beirut without bullets. Um, at the beginning in a bit earlier than March when we thought, why are we, why is it this bad? Because we weren't seeing the effects of it. And she said, you know, she was telling me that it was so serious and they had people dying left, right and centre in, in big London hospitals. Um, so I took it very, very seriously. Didn't know what was going to happen to the economy as a whole and especially our industry. We furloughed 85% of our staff, I think it was. Uh, took it down to a skeleton. And the great news is delighted to say that, you know, within two months, we were back to 50% of our normal uh, run rates. And in the last 18 months, we've had the best 18 months we've ever had. We've grown faster. We've doubled in turnover um, in the last year. Um, so, you know, we are the lucky ones. And my our counterparts in the industry, I speak to our competitors, and we've all done very well, which is great. So as an industry, we're very lucky. You know, we if, imagine if we were in the aircraft industry or we manufactured aircraft seats, uh, we wouldn't be in such a good place. Yeah. So there's a lot of people who have suffered and we need to be thankful that as an industry, because people are stuck at being stuck in their homes and because they haven't spent a lot of money on holiday, on luxury holidays, etc., they have had money to spend in their homes. So, so we have been very lucky. However, um, it, I think we're going through a very strange time at the moment. Um, a, lot, a number of you, especially you, Charles, again, unfortunately, I've lived through two UK recessions, um, but you, you probably can't remember. Um, there's a lot of people in this country that don't remember, uh, don't know what inflation is. They've never experienced inflation. And inflation... And I've forgotten what inflation was like because I haven't lived with it for so long. And it, and it has some very strange effects on the economy. And we are now seeing 
you know, serious inflationary pressures in the market across the board. And, and I do think that this is creating uncertain times. Um, and it's very strange, and I'm not here, I'm not an economist, but I do think we all have to be wary, conscious of, of a very turbulent economy going forward for 22, 23. Let's hope I'm wrong. Let's hope it just goes from strength to strength. And I'm amazed that the stock market, the world stock markets, the FTSE, the Dow have stayed as strong as they have. I thought there would have been a crash. So don't don't believe my pessimism. Let's hope that it goes from strength to strength. But I do feel that we are going through um, a, a turbulent economy. That doesn't. I don't think we're going to have a crash now. I'm. We're investing heavily again uh, now um, for this next year because we do believe we're going to grow. But I do think everyone should be careful with their cash flow, um, with their terms, uh, their payment terms, with their, their customers. Uh, I, I say that to everyone, you know, do not uh, accept unreasonable payment terms because cash is king and you are dealing with people who have a lot of money. So therefore, they should be paying for their goods and services in installments, at least, if not up front. Um, and I, I, and I'm the older I get, and my changing role in the business, I look at the numbers more. And I, and I'm delighted to talk to anyone about the financials of their business, because I've had to do this for 30 years now. And as I said, I'm not an economist, I'm not a guru in finance, but I do believe that. Um, what's the word I'm looking for, Charles? The Prudence is is a really good thing uh, in in any time in any environment, um, and as our as our industry, we should rely on other people to fund it. It's not our job as a small tech industry to fund uh, our industry. It's that's down to our customers. Okay, and and in terms of because I think it's one one point that I certainly like to talk to you about, um, which is in terms of our stock holding and working with our manufacturer partners because at the moment it's a very turbulent time like you say um lead times from manufacturers vary some manufacturers are better than others uh, others will give you zero information um you know and i'm not going to name specifics but where i fit in, in the business as a salesperson is i have my customers contact me as their representative and say when's this coming and the worst answer I can give is, I don't know. But the reality is, it's not me making that information up. If I'm not getting that information from, from our suppliers, then that's the information I have to give to our customers. And it's not something we want to do, but I think it's important that at the moment we can talk a little bit about the investment into our stockholding and how have you seen um, you know, manufacturers handling the COVID chip crisis you know everybody picks a picks a different way to describe it but you know from your position how how do you see that um again another good question uh, charles um i just said the word prudence um one of the things we've done right from the start of covid even in the six months um up to when we went into furlough when the rumors were starting etc i ask our finance people and our salespeople, et cetera, to really rein our cash in and make sure we were paid because I wanted to be cash rich um, because in any turbulent time, cash is king. 
And I did that. And I'm not saying that um, because I'm bragging or because uh, of any other reason that it was important to us to have cash to be able to hold as much stock as we possibly can. Now, I know that a number of you who have probably, as Charles just mentioned, have phoned up three times in the last two weeks for three different brands of product and we haven't got any of it. Um, bear with us. I now spend probably 50% of my time uh, at the moment working, badgering, screaming at manufacturers to try and get into the top of the queue. Uh, but as Charles said, a lot of the time, it's even out of the manufacturer's control because it comes down to the chips. And I should know this, but if if you don't know that one of the, the biggest DAC chip manufacturer in the world actually has about a 70% market share of the DAC chip and every single audio device needs a DAC chip in it. Mm -hmm. And one of their key factories, their main factory burned down about nine months ago in Japan. And of course, if you've got 70% market share and your biggest chip, one of your biggest and one of your only chip factories burns down mm. and you've got an increased demand because everyone's stuck at home. It's the perfect storm. It's the perfect storm, as you mentioned. And, and that's what we're seeing across the board. Um, and, and it's probably even worse. So we're seeing that in a lot of audio products that they can't get us kit. And it's down to the chips. They can't, the manufacturers can't access the chips because there just aren't enough to go around. Yeah. We're also seeing that on the networking side of our business. So, you know, we know that, you know, we apologize because we've been out of uh, a lot of Wi-Fi uh, APs, et cetera. Um, but we know everyone is out of them as well. We know that no one's got any kit because it comes down to the chips. Yeah. Um, and we know that the, the demand on these chips is huge. And I think because of the pressure of, as you said, Charles, about the perfect storm with the demand, the manufacturer, the chip manufacturers have tried to drive those chip factories too hard because three of the world's five biggest chip factories have burnt down in the last 18 months. Mm. And I can only put it down to the fact that they're probably running them too hard because of the demand for chips. So, and then there's the perfect storm you mentioned, because then the West, the Western economies have also uh, woken up to the reliance on the Chinese for their chip manufacturer. Mm -hmm. And so you are now seeing a political move and a political change for to move away for the reliance on Chinese chips to bring them back to Europe and back to America. And I know, for instance, there was um, the Americans agreed in November, Samsung are building a new chip factory in Texas, where I was staggered. The budget for this chip factory is $18 billion and they will have it open. They say the first chips will be coming off the production line in 20 months time. So 24 months from approving the sign off, they will complete a $18 billion build. Yeah. I wouldn't want to be involved in the logistics of that. Yes, yeah, quite a big project to manage that, isn't it? Yes. And and I think it's important to stress that well, there's, there's two things I'd like to cover. One, as you say, yes, there is a particular um, increase in demand across the products we use in our industry, but it's not just our industry. 
separate from from inflation you know we we know at the moment there is a huge demand in automotive as an example um you know outside of our industry again but we we spoke earlier in the week and ford ford posted a, a quarterly loss of i think it was 6.7 billion us dollars yeah, right. um you know and they were they were building building pickup trucks in america and parking them in football stadium parking lots and then when the chips were back in they were going to take them back through the factory to put the final components in to, to get them i mean that's that's how bad it is it's um it's a bad time but the, the second thing i wanted to cover if you are one of our customers and you're you're struggling to get product information, the latest product information we have is listed on the website. If you go to the Habitat website and look at the top, there is a stock information page. That The information we post there is true and honest. Um, if there is no product information there or it's quite vague, that's because that's the information we've got. We're not being mean and we're not, not giving you the information you want. We're just simply going on, on the information we have. Um, can I can I just butt in there, Charles? You 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 asked me the question, I didn't answer it. Um, I think two things you you've prompted me. Firstly, we've continued major investment in our ERP system, um, and we've spent a lot of money on that to try and improve um, our information flow to you. So we are having a, a complete rebuild, revamp of our website which uh, is scheduled to launch 1st of March. Um, and part of that, and you mentioned that it's being very specific, we have taken the attitude, we want to share, openly share all the information we have with our customers. So in this new revamp of our website, you will see exactly what stock levels we have. We're not hiding that. And you will see on there, you will be able to see, able to see what stock levels we have, what back orders we have, what stock we've got coming in and when. So it's not a case of we're saying, oh, well, there's only another 100 coming in and that's a, and because you need to place the order now and the, the, the oldest salesman's trick about yeah, yeah. you're going to miss out. Order now, miss um, out. It, it, all that information will be available for you in black and white on the website once you've logged in and you have your account details so that you know exactly what we've got and when we're getting more stock. Um, and then secondly on that, um, I would also say, in our in our defence, and I mentioned this right at the start of this question, with prudence, because we put ourselves in a good cash position. Um, I know this is frustrating because a lot of you say, "When are you getting this? You haven't got you haven't got APs, you haven't got AVRs, you haven't got X, Y, and Z." But um, interesting enough, my head of finance said to me the other day that Jonathan, do you know we've got. £400,000 worth of stock more than we've ever had in the last two months. So we're now in excess of £4.5 million worth of stock in our warehouse. And the reason we have that, that obviously is not good for our own cash flow, but we are trying to stockpile as much as we can because we know you need it as quickly as you can. And because manufacturers are so sketchy on their delivery schedules, we're just grabbing as much as we can because the only time I can guarantee that I've got the stock for you is when it's in our warehouse yeah. out there. So, you know, we have invested more and more and more. We have doubled our stock turnover since the beginning of COVID. Um, and that is only to try and have that stock in position for you when you need it. Yeah. And apologies 
when we fail, we are doing the best we can. Yeah, that was a, a really important I want, important topic I wanted to touch on because I know you spend a lot of your time at the moment just looking at the numbers, analysing, trying to work out and juggle um, the, the the relationship, the manufacturers of the information they're giving on, on stock and what's coming through because it's, it's a very difficult thing to forecast. You know, not even talking, the thing that... Um, I, I sometimes tell people is SCP with our cables. We have to order six months in advance. People are like, what? That's that's bonkers. You know, you try and forecast six months in advance in pretty much un, unforeseen demand that we had from COVID. It puts, you know, it's a, it's a very difficult thing to try and do, right? So, uh, so yeah, that was why I wanted to mention And that. that's why we now have, normally, I would say our average run, our average stock holding on SCP cable is in excess of half a million pounds. Yeah. Uh, a cable sitting on the shelf at any time because of course the cables we have lots of you don't want and the cables we we're getting low on is everyone wants so yeah. we have to have huge supplies but as you say charles it is now with a sick shipping time's gone from 28 days to 35 days everything's just increased you can't get slots on boats as you all know we're now paying about eighteen and a half thousand dollars for a 42 foot container versus just before COVID, we were paying $3,000 for a container. So that just shows you the increase in freight costs as well that we're seeing uh, in the last two years. Yeah, I think probably, uh, you know, equally important, I'll try and, um, with, the, with the accounts that I have that we, I would consider, you know, friends and, and uh, good accounts of mine is, please help me help you. If, you. if you know you've got a big project coming up where you're going to need to put a big order in, please let me know about that before because it then helps us to forecast and order more. Uh, you know, it just, it's a two-way street. It's not just, please give us your order. It's please let me know when you think you're going to want to order as well. Oh, so, so true. Yeah. You know, we're not, we're not going to hold you to it, but the more you can forecast, the more we can work together. Uh, you know, things, we can't invent things anymore. I can't pull out my squeaky squirrel a bag and say, oh, yeah, we can find one of those for you. It doesn't matter how how much you scream, how much you jump up and down, we we just haven't got it. So the more yeah. lead time you can give us, the better. Once you get an order, please let us know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so so the last question I've got for you, Jonathan, a bit of a, a wide question, is um, how do you see the industry changing in the next five years? Yeah, how long's a bottle of string? Thanks, Charles. Um, what do I know? Um, You've been around the block. I've been around the block, but I'm getting tired and it needs young people like you to, to drive it. Um, it's difficult. You know, I've probably got a lot more wrong than I have right um, over the years, but I like to experiment. I like to, uh, what gives me a buzz in business is trying new things um, and seeing those things grow. And, and you know, we try and forget the, the failures, but we, we always claim the victories for the, the successes. Um, what's going to happen? Well, as we all know, I think technology is just going to accelerate. You know, you can't believe it that it can get any quicker, but I think every year we prove that it just accelerates more and more and more in every aspect of our, our being. Um, so I think the technology, which is great for us as an industry, Everything's getting a lot more complex, so much more complex that uh, 
And that's great for us because I think DIY is going out the window and there will be always a DIY market. And I love gadgets and I buy my 20 and 30 and 40 pound gadgets from Amazon all the time. But as we all know, that if it becomes any more uh, sophisticated than a simple gadget from Amazon, it's so bloody complicated that it needs a professional to deal with it. Um, and I think that bodes so well for our industry that, you know, we've got a great future. However, as industries mature, they always become more and more competitive because more and more people come and play in the industry. Mm. And I think, uh, and then normally in my um, lifetime and also my um, studies I did, you know, I think you the, the, the danger is getting caught in the middle ground. And I think, and I've, I believe that, and I've, I get stronger and stronger views on that as I get older, that you should either play at the top end of service level where you provide a premium service and you charge for that appropriately and you charge top money because inflation means that people are getting more expensive, every, all costs are going up. So you must charge a premium for it and you give premium service where people are delighted or you should compete right down at the bottom where you live on very skinny margins and you provide no service whatsoever. But what I think where I've seen most failure has been when people have tried to offer the middle ground where they try and offer a bit of both and the end user will always decide to go either with the cheapest or with the premium service. They, they find it very difficult to make that judgment in the middle. And we all know that of our side of business and our side of industry, um, I saw that last uh, week Amazon published their latest quarterly revenues of $135 billion for a quarter. Uh, I don't have to say any more with regards to competing down at that low end, at no margin. I'm not going to take on Amazon. Um, and that's one of the reasons why we have tried to move uh, as fast as we can to a premium service level and a premium product where we're not competing against the massive boys that can completely take us out of the market on price but can't offer service. Yeah, and that goes back to what you were saying earlier in terms of volume sales. It's quite easy to live on 2 and 3% margin when you're doing 130 billion a quarter, right? Yeah. That doesn't that doesn't work for us. So so the industry is going to going to going to change. I'm personally quite excited for how content is going to be delivered into larger home theatres. Um, I think the way that we have it at the moment is we're sort of an in between of the new streaming world, and we're still holding back because we still need the the best quality, and it's not quite there yet on streaming services. I think that's definitely going to change. The other thing that um, that I think is going to be quite interesting to see what happens in the next five years is the seemingly quite large shortage of skilled engineers in our industry coming into it. Um, I know CEDIA have been pushing forward on their apprenticeship program to try and get people trained up straight out of school, college, um, on the, on you know on the tools. Um, but you know, I hear it at the moment almost weekly. People are like, "I need an engineer." Do you know of anyone? Because they're so busy that it's actually, if you think about it, it's actually a very short amount of time for somebody to go from unskilled to very skilled in our industry as an engineer. We've not been, if they come came on board just before COVID, that's what, two years? 
that's not a very long time to develop a skill set where you can be just self-sufficient and know let's not kid ourselves you have to be more than just the network guy you've got to be the network guy you've got to be the cinema guy you've got to be the cctv security guy you've got to have many different hats and know them all to to, to a good level so i think i think it's going to be interesting to see what happens with that um and hopefully we can get more and more people through and, and trained okay jonathan uh that's great thank you very much for your time much appreciated and uh yeah see you in the next one